0: My name is Ben. I'm the Noblesville campus pastor, if we haven't met yet. Uh, Steve, your campus pastor, is on the other side of the world this morning. I actually got a text from him at about 7 o'clock. It was 7 o'clock his time at night, and he was getting ready for a little shut-eye. But he's doing good. They're there, and, uh, and they're going to have a great trip, I think. I, uh, I'm going to start this message with a story that might seem kind of funny, a funny way to start a sermon, but I, I think it'll tie in here in just a minute. There are very few things that I remember from my childhood with as much clarity as the first time I was sucker punched. Okay. You all know what a sucker punch is, right? It's when the other guy doesn't have enough courage to confront you face-to-face, and so he waits until you're not looking, and then out of nowhere, you get hit. Well, for me, that happened at the pool in Rensselaer, Indiana, where I grew up, and I spent most of my summer days there at the community pool. I'd meet all my buddies there, and, man, we'd play all day long. We played rough, okay? These were the days when the lifeguards did not care. If you pushed people in, if you held people under, we'd put people on our shoulders. We'd chicken fight. They didn't care. Now, you walk too fast at the pool, you're going to get a whistle blown at you, right? My wife, where's my wife at? Are you in here, honey? My wife says that lifeguards are there to make sure no one has any fun, okay? I'll probably hear about that at lunch today, that I shared that, but it's an occupational hazard when you're married to a pastor. I might share some secrets. But we played rough at the pool. We always did. And apparently, on one particular day, I played too rough with somebody. I don't know who it was, but I got out of the pool, I was drying off, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a fist met my stomach, and all of the air left me, and I made a a horrible moaning sound. I bent over. I was gasping for air, but I couldn't get any air. I was was trying as hard as I could, and I just remember to this day that awful feeling of not being able to breathe, the sucker punch, and some of you know exactly what that feels like, and I want you to know uh, that every time we talk about money, I cringe just a little bit. I do. Not not because I don't think we should talk about it. I do think we should talk about it. But because I know that there are those of you who maybe are here for the first time this morning and you come in here and you hear that we're going to talk about money and you think, I knew it. I knew it. I came in here to hear about God. I came in here to hear about hope and all you want is my money. Or maybe you grew up going to church or you grew up giving to a ministry of some sort only to see a misuse and a mishandling of money. And it was like a sucker punch. For you. So here's what I want to say this morning. This topic of money is sensitive, and I know it, okay? But I want you to know this too. We've already taken the offering, and we're not taking another one, okay? <laughs> we're not starting a building campaign this morning. In fact, the goal of this message and this whole series is not that you would give more money. The goal of this message, the goal of this series, is that your heart would be aligned with the heart of Christ when it comes to our resources and our possessions. And so today, we're going to study a parable that helps us understand Christ's heart when it comes to money. And I want to invite you, if you brought your Bible, to turn to Luke chapter 16. If you didn't bring a Bible, there are some under the chairs around you. And this is going to be on page 730 of those Bibles. But I would really like it if you had a physical Bible open, or if you use version or something on your phone, that's fine. But I want you to look at this. I want you to look at the text for yourself. And here's why. This is a really difficult passage. Okay, You're going to hear some things as I read this passage that may sound contradictory to the message of Jesus as you know it. And I want you to see for yourself what the text says. I'm not going to add anything to it. I'm not going to hold anything back. Also, I want to say you may be familiar. uh, If you've been around church for a while, you probably will be familiar with the principle that Jesus gives at the end of this passage. Uh, But what leads up to that statement will be new for many of you. And the reason for that is that in the church, we've done a good job of just throwing the principle out there without really looking at the context. But this morning, we're going to study both. But I do want to give you the principle first, so you can keep it in mind as we read the parable. And the principle Is found in verse 13 of Luke chapter 16. And it's this: if you're taking notes, you can write this down. You cannot serve both God and money. How many of you have heard that before? That's a a fairly common principle within the church world, right? You cannot serve both God and money. So I want you to keep that in mind as we read the rest of this parable. Let's back up to to verse 1 of chapter 16. It says: Jesus told his disciples, So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, "'How much do you owe my master?' "'900 gallons of olive oil,' he replied. And the manager told him, "'Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450.' And then he asked the second, "'And how much do you owe?' "A "'1,000 bushels of wheat,' he replied. And he told him, "'Take your bill and make it 800.' The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, what in the world are we supposed to do with that? Were there some, some points in reading that text that you were scratching your head? Were there some things in there that didn't sound quite right to you, or maybe were a little bit confusing? I mean, you can see why I said this is a difficult passage, right? We, we've got this story that Jesus tells about a guy who loses his job for wasting his master's possessions. So the master says, you're done. I want you to go. I want you to settle all of your accounts. And so the dishonest manager, he goes and he essentially steals from his master again, giving some discounts that aren't his to give. And then he comes back to the master. And, and this is the part that's mind blowing. The master says, good job. The master says, you know what? I commend you for acting shrewdly. Well done. Good work stealing from me. Why would Jesus tell a story that highlights a dishonest person? Why would he tell a story of someone who clearly sins against someone else and then is commended for it? That's what it seems is happening here, right? Well, let me begin by saying that whenever you come to a passage in Scripture that's difficult or confusing, You have to interpret it in light of what you know from the rest of Scripture. Passages that aren't difficult or confusing. So what do we know? Let's start with this. What do we know about God from the rest of Scripture? Well, we know that God cannot be tempted with evil. That's in James 1. We know that that in God there is no darkness at all. 1 John 1. We uh, We know that sin is what separates us from God. Isaiah 59 and a number of other places. And we know that God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to rescue us from sin. John 3.16 lays that out for us. So that's what we know for sure. It's not confusing. It's the truth. God cannot sin. God does not sin. God hates sin. God died for sin. And God would never commend sin. So the point of this parable cannot be steal from your boss so that people will like you. Okay, that's not what Jesus is trying to get across here. The point of this parable, I think, is found in verse 8. And it says there, it says, The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. And I want to suggest to you this morning that the point of this parable is that God wants us to be shrewd. Now, how many times have you heard a pastor say that? That God wants you to be shrewd. That still doesn't seem quite right, does it? But part of the misunderstanding of this passage, I believe, is the stigma that comes with that word shrewd. Because when we hear it, we think of something shady or we think of something under the table. But that's not actually what this word means at all. To be shrewd is to be astute, sharp, smart, clever, perceptive, or wise. These are all synonyms for that word shrewd. So we need to get it out of our minds that Jesus is commending or ever would commend something negative. He's not. It's not negative to be smart. It's not negative to be perceptive. It's not negative to be wise. In fact, this isn't the only place where Jesus calls for shrewdness. If you jump over to Matthew ten sixteen, we find that Jesus is getting ready to send out the 12 disciples for the first time. To go out on a little missionary journey. And they're to go and to tell the people that the kingdom of heaven has come near. And as Jesus is getting ready to send them out, he tells them this in verse 16. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. So how many of you ever heard uh, this phrase before that someone maybe was so heavenly minded they were of no earthly what? Good. They're so heavenly minded they're of no earthly good. The deficiency in that statement is shrewdness. Jesus says, be shrewd as a snake. Be smart, be clever, be perceptive, be wise, but also be as innocent as a dove. Be blameless, be pure, be spotless. So let's just do a quick self-assessment here, okay? I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I a shrewd person who maybe needs to work on being a little more dove-like, or am I a loving, caring person? innocent person who needs to work on being a little more snake-like, a little more wise, a little more perceptive, a little more shrewd. Which one is it for you? Jesus calls for both, but in reality, all of his followers are probably deficient in one area or another, and when you're high in shrewdness and low in innocence, that's abuse. But when you're high in innocence and low in shrewdness, you become ineffective and unproductive for the kingdom of God. And so that's why we need to have both shrewd as snakes, innocent as doves. So go back to Luke 16, verse 8. And when Jesus says, uh, he, he says, coming off of that passage uh, that we just read, he, he says, the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. That is not a compliment to the people of the light. OK, we maybe read that and think it is. It's not. Jesus is telling a story of this world. And obviously it's full of deceit, it's full of stealing, it's full of lying, it's full of laziness, as we would expect a story of this world to be. And I think that Jesus knew that we would look at this guy and we would think, man, I would never do something like that. I would never act like that guy. I'm on the dove program, right? I would not do that. I'm innocent, I'm blameless, that guy's a thief. And Jesus says, you may be innocent, that may be true, But this guy does have something that you lack, and it's shrewdness. And then he says this in verse 9. He says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. Did that trip any of you up when we read that, that passage? Like, what is Jesus saying there? It feels contradictory to what we know about Jesus. Is he telling us to use our money to buy ourselves some friends? Is he saying, use your money so you can keep up with the Joneses and be the most popular guy in your neighborhood or most popular girl at the club? Is that what Jesus is saying? Well, again, let's, let's interpret Scripture in light of what we know from Scripture. We can fast forward to Jesus' words in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, where Jesus tells us that it's our, our ultimate goal, our end goal, to make disciples. That's the work of every single believer. That's the end game. And right here in verse 9, Jesus is about to reveal the spiritual meaning behind this earthly story. The dishonest manager, listen to this, the dishonest manager "...was shrewd for his own personal, temporary, physical gain. But the children of God should be shrewd for others' focused eternal gain. The children of God should be pouring their resources into the mission and the work of making disciples." And so how do we do that? How how do we pour our, our things into the mission and the work of making disciples? I want to suggest three things from this text. And the first is this. Again, if you're taking notes, use what you have, don't waste it. Use what you have, don't waste it. At the very start of this parable, we meet a guy who is wasting his master's possessions. He's been given responsibility, he's been given oversight of possessions, and he's wasted them. Based on how he acts later in the story, I think it's safe to assume that he has wasted these resources on his own personal fulfillment, his own personal joy. But, but here's the thing. It wasn't his to waste. Okay? That wasn't his money. Those weren't his possessions. And the master expected some return from them. He expected careful oversight of them. But the manager simply wasted them. So what does that mean for us today? Well, what Steve highlighted last week and what I want to highlight this week is Psalm 24, 1, where it tells us that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything in the earth is the Lord's. Everything we have is the Lord's. We have been given oversight of it. We are to be stewards of it, but we must not waste it because it's not ours to waste. So does that mean you shouldn't buy that car? Does that mean you shouldn't buy those clothes? Does it mean you shouldn't order that pizza? I don't know. Don't ask me. It's not my money, right? It's God's. And the point of of that statement being, if if it was my money, you'd ask me, right? If I was going out of town and I asked you to oversee my bank accounts, you wouldn't just go and, and spend that money as if it was yours to spend, right? I mean, you all look like trustworthy people. Some people would do that, but you wouldn't do that. But are we as trustworthy when it comes to not wasting what God has entrusted to us? Here's what I think we should do. Every time we come come up on a, a purchase, every time we come up on an investment, every time we look at the things that God has blessed us with, we should pray this prayer. God, what do you want me to do with this? I know what I want to do with it, but it's not mine. It's yours. So what do you want me to do with this? And then use it the way that God leads you to use it, but don't waste it. Next is this, point number two, operate shrewdly, God commends it. Okay, look again at what the manager did in verse four. He's in trouble. He's about to lose his job, and he's scrambling to make a plan for his future. The dishonest manager says this. He says, I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. And the manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Half off sale. Okay, olive oil's on sale today, 50% off right there. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. Wheat's on sale today, 20% off. So he's not quite as generous with the wheat guy as he was with the oil guy, but it's still a discount. He's still making friends. And the dishonest manager is giving these deep discounts in hopes that he will be taken care of in the days to come. When he's hungry a month from now, he can go to the man who owed 900 gallons of oil, and he can say, hey, man, you remember that sweet deal I made you on that olive oil? And the guy will be like, yeah, you know what? I really, I really appreciate that. Hey, wh- why don't you come over to my house and have dinner tonight? In fact, you know what? Why don't you just stay with me until you can get on your feet? You took care of me. I'm going to take care of you. That's what's going on here. The dishonest manager is showing his passion for himself. Okay, he's showing his commitment to his own well-being, his willingness to do whatever it takes to set himself up for success in the future. And as we think about the fact that parables are earthly stories with heavenly meanings, what we have to realize is that the master in this story is ultimately Jesus. And this is a story about you. And this is a story about me. And we will be commended, not for what we do, for our own personal temporary gain, but with how we re- use the resources given to us for eternal, others-focused spiritual gain. Look again at verse 9. When he says, I tell you to use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, look at what he says next. He says, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal Dwellings. Now, what's that talking about? Is that talking about us, us earning our way into heaven? If we do this, then we'll go to heaven. Is this a formula for salvation? No. No, it's not. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. Again, we know that by reading the rest of the Scripture. This isn't a get into heaven formula. But here's what Jesus is saying. I want you to think right now about all the people you know who are far from God. Who are the people in your family? Who are the people in your neighborhood? Who are the people in your office? Who are the people on your kids' sports teams that do not know Christ? And I want you to think about the impact that you could have in their life by using what God has entrusted to you to love them, to serve them, to befriend them, and ultimately to share the hope that is in you. Now, I want you to fast forward 30, 40, 50 years down the road. Okay, that person... Uh, believed they accepted christ because of your willingness to use your resources to befriend them and then they died we all die okay they died they went to heaven and then you died and you go to heaven too and who do you think it is that will be there welcoming you into your eternal reward well that's brandon you know brandon uh he lived down the street from me and uh And I had some things that he needed, and and I befriended him, and I got to talk to him about Jesus. And so there's Brandon. Brandon's there. And that guy over there, that's Bill. You know, I I got with Bill every Tuesday morning. I bought that guy a cup of coffee. He just seemed like he needed a friend, and I had two ears to listen. And so I bought him a cup of coffee, and I I got to tell him where hope is found. And so there's Bill, and, and there's Lori. You know, Lori's there, and Lori was a young mom. And I remembered what it was like to be a young mom. And so I I bought her some diapers and I got her a gift card to go and to get a massage. And, And I got to tell Lori about Jesus. And they're all there. Every person you invested your resources into and befriended and told about Jesus, they're all there welcoming you into your eternal dwelling. That's what this is about. That's what Jesus is talking about. And I know that we can fall into this thinking that, you know what? I don't have enough money to be taking people out to coffee all the time. I don't have enough money to be buying diapers. Do you know how much diapers cost? Man, I got four kids. Don't talk to me about how much diapers cost. <laughs> but look at what Jesus says next in verse 10. He says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your your own? The point is this. Stop thinking about what you don't have and start looking at what you do have. What do you have right now that you can be faithful with and use to befriend the people who are in your life who are far from God? You got a car? I mean, who do you know that needs a ride to work? Who needs a ride to the grocery store? Who who are the kids in your neighborhood who need to be at Spring Hill Camp this summer at Genesis Church? Use what you have. Be trustworthy with what you have. Maybe you got some scissors and you know how to cut hair. Who in your neighborhood needs a haircut? Okay, we've all seen somebody and thought, man, that guy needs a haircut, right? Offer to give him a haircut. I don't know. Remember were the kids in your neighborhood who need a haircut? Give him a haircut. Haircuts are expensive. Use what you have. Be trustworthy with what you have. Maybe you got some tools in your garage. What's broken on your neighbor's house? What's broken on your neighbor's car? Who needs an oil change? Be faithful. Be trustworthy with what you have. Man, I love my neighbors, Brandon and Alicia, When they moved in last summer, uh, from the moment their moving truck pulled in, they've got two little kids, and those kids were just eyeballing my swing set. i got a pretty sweet swing set, by the way. And, uh, and they were just eyeballing it. And we told them, you know what? Your kids can come over here and swing on that swing set anytime they want to. We don't have to be here. Just come over here and use us. Just being faithful with what you have. And then later, Brandon has some really big trees in his backyard. And one of them blew over into another one. And, and we got to talking. And he said, man, I'm just worried about that tree in my backyard. You know, I'm afraid it's going to fall. I'm afraid to have my kids play back there. It's going to be super expensive to have that thing taken down. And I thought, you know what? I got a truck and a chainsaw and an unhealthy lack of fear. Uh, <clears throat> I bet we could pull that thing down and cut it up. And so we did, man. We tied it to the front of my truck and we yanked it out of that tree and we made some firewood. But then, but then this is the really important part. Because then we sat on the bed of my truck, you know, for 40 or 50 minutes and we just talked. We talked about life and we talked about family. And I've been able to share my faith with Brandon Because I was able to take what I had and invest it in him. And I want you to know right now, I tell that story and I use that example. uh, But I get this wrong all the time. Okay, I'm not the poster child for this, uh, getting this right. But I cannot ignore what Jesus says at the end of this passage. In verse 13, he says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't do it. You cannot serve both God and money. You have to choose. So here's the thing. Point number three is this. It's time to fire a master. It's time to fire a master. Jesus died so that we could be freed from everything that would enslave us. And some of you here today need to be set free from the grip that money has on you. Now, how do you know whether or not money is your master? Let me just suggest a few things. If you believe that that money or possessions will bring you happiness, then money is your master and you need to fire it. If you are consumed thinking about the next thing that you want to buy, only to buy it and be consumed by the next thing that you want to buy, then money is your master and you need to fire it. If you find yourself miserable looking at the things that other people have and desiring more for yourself, then money is your master and you need to fire it. And listen, money is nothing. It's nothing. It's just a tool. It's not good. It's not evil. It's nothing. We read in 1 Timothy that it's the love of money. That's where the problem comes in. That's where the root of evil is. It's the love of money. When it becomes our master, when we love it, when we bow to it. And money is a terrible master because it never fulfills. It never satisfies. It always leaves us wanting more. But if we approach it shrewdly, if we tell our money to stand down and we approach it shrewdly, then it becomes a tool, not a master. Because the shrewd know that Jesus is master and they use their money for eternal Others focused, spiritual gain. So how are you doing at being shrewd with the things that God has entrusted to you? I want to pray for us this morning, and I want to invite you to bow your heads with me right now. And as we do this, I just want to start by saying there are certainly some of us who just need to be honest before the Lord this morning and admit that we've been wasting what he entrusted to us. And if that's you, why don't you just take a minute right now and and confess that to the Father? Uh, maybe just pray a prayer to, to, to say, God, I've been wasting the things that, that you've entrusted to me and I want to turn from that this morning. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to use what you've given me. I don't want to waste it. Some of us are, are probably also realizing that we could use a little more shrewdness when it comes to how we use our money we need to be a little more wise a little more perceptive a little more acute in thinking about the future impact that our money can have on the lives around us and if that's you you know the bible says that that if if you lack wisdom ask for it and god will give it to you Uh, why don't you spend just a moment asking if that's you And for many this morning, uh, I'm afraid the reality is that that you've made money your master. And the simple truth is, it's time to fire it. It's time to fire money as your master. It's time to to tell your money to stand down, to turn to Christ to repent of that sin. And to tell Christ that there is nothing else in this earth that we have that we would desire above you. There is, is nothing in earth for me but you. God, would you help us to grow in this area of shrewdness? Would you help us to grow in this area of using the things that you have given to us, the resources, the money, all that we have, everything in the earth is yours. And so, Father, we want to use it. We want to be effective. We want to be productive for your kingdom. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen.